You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. So we're, again, we're kind of been looking at the role of peacemaking, and it's a crucial role. And I'm, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, peacemaking is not easy. Like, I don't think I've met you before, right? I, I, don't, think, I don't think we've ever met, right? We've never met. I don't, I don't know him, but I would be able to say we are at peace, okay? I don't have anything against him. He shouldn't have anything against me. We don't really know each other, right? So being at, at peace with him is very, very easy. Now, I'll guarantee you if we got to know each other and we got to spend time with each other and we started interacting with each other, there's going to come a point and a place where biblical peacemaking is going to become more of a challenge for us because there are going to be things I'm going to say and do to him that's going to that's going to steal his peace. I, I may do something that offends him. I may do something that hurts him. He may do something that offends me. He may do something that hurts me. And, and the whole point is, is that the longer you're in relationship with people, the deeper you are in relationship with people, the more difficult peacemaking, biblical peacemaking becomes. Okay? It's not easy. Biblical peacemaking, it is not for the faint of heart. It is, it is difficult stuff. It can be very time-consuming. Um, and so I just, I just want to get rid of this notion that somehow biblical peacemaking is easy. It is not, especially the longer and the deeper the relationship. Now, I want you to you know, understand that not only is it not easy, but when we take it serious, there are blessings. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Biblical peacemaking is really applying biblical principles to the conflicts in our lives and in our relationships and doing that in ways that not only resolve the conflict, but it resolves it in ways that honors God, honors the person that you're in conflict with, and it also brings honor upon you as well. Now, for biblical peacemaking to be effective and productive, okay, we must always, and, I, and I'm always, you know, want to be careful how I work, use the word always, you know, because sometimes we say always when it's not always. But I'm saying always uh, in a very, very direct, deliberate way, okay? For peacemaking, biblical peacemaking to be productive and effective, we must always Begin by first looking at our own contribution and our own role in the conflicts we are involved in. Biblical peacemaking, it involves us first asking ourselves this most important and crucial question before we ever begin to look anywhere else, before we ever begin to go anywhere else in biblical peacemaking, we must stop first and foremost and ask ourselves this question, what is my role? What is my contribution to the conflict in this relationship? Again, our human tendency 
kind of our, our broken, imperfect human tendency is we want to gloss over or we want to kind of minimize or bury our contributions, what we've brought into the, the, the conflictive situation, and we want to focus more on what the other person has contributed to the conflict. And this is, again, where it's so important to be reminded of what Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. He says, you've got to take the log out of your own eye first before you're ever going to see clearly to remove the speck from the eye of your brother or sister. Anybody recognize the following statement? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand these rights? If you've ever watched a police show, if you've ever watched a police movie, or maybe unfortunately you've been arrested, uh, you might be familiar with what is commonly known as the Miranda warning, okay? Now, where does this warning come from? Well, this warning came from a 1966 Supreme Court decision in the case of Miranda versus uh, Arizona, and it was a means of protecting a criminal suspect's Fifth Amendment right to avoid coercive uh, self-incrimination. Simply put, it's a law that says you have the right to remain silent. I don't know if any of you ever remembered the very first Shrek movie uh, that came out. There's this scene where uh, Shrek tells this extremely gabby donkey uh, that he has the right to remain silent. He says, but what you lack is the capacity to remain silent, right? Anybody know people like that? Yeah, you should be quiet. You shouldn't say anything. But what you lack is the capacity to be quiet. Now, interestingly, one of the victims of the Miranda ruling was Ernesto Miranda himself. Now, Miranda was a convicted rapist, and his conviction was overturned by this infamous Supreme Court case um, and uh, he was stabbed to death 10 years later in 1976 in a Phoenix bar. And the cops, when they arrested the man suspected of the killing, um, he wanted to confess to the police what he had done. But after they had read him his Miranda warnings, he refused to talk and he was never convicted of the crime. Now, when it comes to the Bible and it comes to conflict in our lives and it comes to biblical peacemaking, um, there are no Miranda rights, okay? That is the one place I would say the Miranda warnings have no application. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it very, very clear that confession is good for the soul. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins, your faults, to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, I will, I will tell you, for some of you in, in this room this morning, one of the plans that God may have for you in this process of healing is you've got some sins you need to confess to someone. That may be kind of what's blocking your healing this morning. 
There is conflict between you and, and other brothers and sisters. There's conflict that's unresolved between maybe you and family members, maybe coworkers. And God's been speaking to your heart. You need to go to that person. You need to confess your sin. And when you do that, you're going to receive your healing. So for some of you, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I have no prophetic word for anybody here that that's for you. I, I do not have that. I'm just saying that may be one of those processes that God has you walk through for the manifestation of that healing. Because again, it's biblical. When we confess our faults one to another, there's a blessing in that that it can manifest itself in healing. So again, the scripture confirms that it's very healthy and powerful confession can be in the life of the believer when we are in conflict with others and we recognize the issues that we have brought into that situation, that we've contributed to the conflict, and we confess those things to the people we are in conflict with, that confession has the potential and the power to bring healing to you, to others, and to that relationship. That is powerful. The truth is, when it comes to conflict in our lives, sinful actions and our words are usually at the root of that. It's something that we've done. It's something that we've said. It may be something we didn't do. It may be something we didn't say that we should have said. But it generally has to do with actions or words. And one of the ways we can find resolution and reconciliation is through recognizing those issues and confessing our faults, our sins, and our shortcomings so that those fractured relationships can be healed. Now, 1 John 1.10 says this, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So there's, there's a blessing to be had there's an upside to be had when we confess our sins, our faults, our mistakes, our failures one to another. There are also consequences when we do not do that. We're calling God a liar. And, and we're demonstrating that his word really has no place, no value in our lives. When sinful actions and or words are at the root of our conflicts, and we refuse to recognize that and to confess it. We are calling God, who clearly sees it for what it is, calls it what it is. We are calling God a liar, and we are providing evidence that his word has no place or authority in our hearts. So this morning, I want to just share with you quickly some principles of how I believe a Christian should deal with their sin, especially when it leads to conflict with others. And first is express your failure. Now notice I said express your failure, not your neighbor's failure, not your spouse's failure, not your co-worker's failure, not your kid's failure. And it's not that they don't have any failure. It's not that they don't have any, you know, role. They don't have anything that they've contributed. I'm not saying that. But it's not where you begin. It's not where you start. You begin, you start by expressing your failure. 
Because as Jesus said, unless you start with the log in your own eye first, you will never, ever see clear enough to remove or to identify the speck that's in the other person's eye. Now that word confess there, in the Greek, it is in the present tense, okay? And whenever a word is in the present tense, it's something that it's calling us to do something continuously. So this whole idea of confessing our sins, it's something that we need to do daily, we need to do diligently, and we need to do definitely, now, to understand confession properly, again, let me just share with you where that word confession comes from. The word confession comes from the Greek word homologio, and the word homo means the same, okay? And the word logio means to say, it means to say, okay? So to say same is kind of what that word confession means. Homologio means to, to say same. So confession literally means to say the same thing, okay? You see, confession means to call sin what God calls sin. If God says that sin, my confession needs to be that is sin. If God says that is righteous, my confession needs to be that is righteous. I call what God calls sin, sin. I call what God calls righteous, righteous. That's the confession of our mouth. It's to say what God says. It means to regard sin the same way that God regards sin. So confession is more than just admitting sin. You can, you can admit sin without confessing it. Okay? Yeah, that was wrong. Okay, that's, that's you know, admitting. Confessing is I was wrong. Not that was wrong. I was wrong. That's the difference between admitting and confessing. When you truly confess sin, it, it is that you have been convicted of that sin. And you have been convicted to a point where you despise what you've done or said. I mean, you're broken over it. You can't sleep. I mean, you can't think about anything else other than that issue. And you want to turn from it. You want to make it right. You want to get right, not just with that other person. You want to get right with God in that as well. So if you're going to deal with sin properly, again, you've got to do two things. First of all is you've got to call it what it is. Doublespeak has become one of the biggest problems in the English language today. Now this was interesting. According to the National Council of Teachers State of the Language Report, they kind of gave these examples of what uh, they refer to as doublespeak. So, one stockbroker recently called a stock market downturn a fourth quarter equity retreat. So it's just kind of a way to spin that to make it kind of sound a little better than it really is. That's kind of the whole idea of doublespeak. We, we refer to people who lie as truth deficient. Right? We just, we're just trying to find a nicer way or a more polite way of saying you lied, you know, or you're, you're truth deficient, right? A recent shutdown at an automaker Chrysler was labeled by the company as a volume-related production schedule adjustment. 
I thought that was kind of interesting. A recent publication claimed that jumping off a tall building could lead to, now get this, sudden deceleration trauma. Now normally you and I, we would just call that splat, right? So again, if you're going to be really serious in dealing with the sin in your life and the sin that is really kind of contributing to the conflicts in your relationship, you've got to start by calling it what it is. If it is jealousy, call it jealousy. If it's bitterness, call it bitterness. If it's unforgiveness, call it unforgiveness. If it's envy, call it envy. Call it exactly what it is and do not try to whitewash it. Do not try to minimize it. Second, confess it when it occurs. Now, we love to sin retail and confess wholesale, right? By that I mean, many of us will kind of wait until we go to bed at night or we get to church on Sunday morning and we'll say something like this. Lord, if I've sinned today or if I've sinned this past week, God, would you just forgive me? Now, whether or not you realized it, uh, you just lied if you said, if I sinned. Because there's hardly a day goes by, definitely a week that goes by, that, that none of us have been uh, in areas uh, of sin in our lives. Again, and it could just be in very, very simple ways. We've, you know, God has called us to do something. We just haven't done it. That's sin. That's disobedience. That needs to be addressed. It needs to be confessed. It needs to be repented of, okay? So there's hardly a day, again, much less a week that goes by that we don't have areas of sin. And again, we need to confess those specifically and we need to do it as instantaneously as possible. So that again, that we know that we're always right with one another and we're right in our relationships with God. Corey Ten Boom once said this, she said, the blood of Jesus never cleansed an excuse. So first, you express your failure. And the second thing is, is that you can expect God's faithfulness. So this is the cool part. There, there's always kind of a, our part in something and then God's part in something. If we do this, God will do something in response to that. And, and this is one of those scriptures. It says, if we do confess our sin, here's what John goes on to say, God is faithful and just. Now, John is kind of pointing out two very specific characteristics or traits of God. Um, and he says, first of all, God is faithful to his promises. Isaiah 55, verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. God will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, God is a God of covenant. God works through. He operates by covenants. He is bound by covenant. And God has a covenant relationship with his children. And he cannot ever break that covenant. If God were to break that covenant, he would cease to be God. It's part of the covenant that we share in communion. It's a covenant meal. 
we're, we're acknowledging, we're celebrating that we are in covenant with God. We have an unbreakable covenant with God. And every time we take the bread and we dip it in that juice, we are acknowledging, we are recognizing, we are celebrating. God is a covenant God and we are in covenant with him. And part of the covenant we find there in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 says, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, not only is God faithful to his promise, he is just in his purposes. The moment God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, the moment that happened, God was now able to forgive us our sins and still maintain his standard of holiness and righteousness. Do you know one of the things that makes God a just God? There are a lot but one of the things that makes God a just God is that he clearly tells you what he will do and what he won't do. That's part of what makes him a just God. He's not going to tell you one thing and then do the exact opposite. He will always do what he says he will do. Now, if God could forgive unconfessed, unrepented of sin, he would be an unjust God because he's saying one thing but doing the complete opposite. God cannot just let sin go by. He can't just turn a blind eye, a deaf ear to sin, or else he wouldn't be just. God is bound in this covenant to deal righteously with sin in order to be just. So how does he do this? How can God be faithful to his promise to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? As 1 John 1, 9 goes on to say, how can he do this and yet still be a just God? He does that, and this is kind of what the focus of this week is. He does it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 26, and he's speaking of Jesus when Paul says this, whom God set forth to be the propitiation by his blood. Again, it's so important to recognize the power of the blood. I remember there was a time in the United Methodist Church when I was a part of that uh, denomination where there were pastors um, that were just freaking out over the blood of Jesus. They just felt that the blood of Jesus was just gratuitous violence. You know, that, that God is a, is a child abuser because uh, of what the father did to his son. And, and there was just this very, very twisted theological reasoning that was going on within the Methodist church. And, and, and it just came down to they had no appreciation. They had no understanding. They had no theological basis, foundation for the blood of Jesus Christ. So to them, it was gratuitous. It was unnecessary. It wasn't needed. 
But God sent forth his son to be a propitiation for our sins through his blood. Well, that tells me the blood is very, very essential. Why does he do that? Paul tells us to demonstrate his righteousness. God does that to demonstrate he is righteous. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. I love that Paul puts that in there twice. So if you miss it the first time, you better catch it the second time. He does it to demonstrate his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, Jesus satisfied the demands our sins required. And he did that through his death on the cross and through the shedding of his blood. Because the requirement our sin demanded was fully, completely satisfied. Through Christ's sacrifice, God the Father, he could be both faithful and just in his promise to forgive and to cleanse those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, faith in what he did for us through the cross. And God could do that without compromising any of his justness. So when you and I, when we take our sins to the cross and we just kind of put those under that cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, God must forgive you. It's not that God's going to look at that and try to decide whether he wants to. If you come and, and you confess that sin, and you call it what it is, and you cry out for God's justice, it says, God, he is so faithful, and he is so just that he must forgive your sins because of the means of forgiveness that were provided for us through Jesus Christ. If God didn't forgive you, do you understand? He would be dishonoring his son. If God didn't forgive us when we truly come and confess and we call upon the mercy of God for our sins, do you realize he would be devaluing the blood of Jesus Christ? He would be no better than some of those pastors who just would look at that and say, oh, that's just gratuitous. It wasn't necessary. So any time that, that God does not forgive and cleanse our sins, he's devaluing the blood of his son. And did you know the word faithful means every time? That's what that word means. Every time. See, if a husband's faithful to his wife 364 days a year, he's not faithful. He's only faithful when he is faithful all the time. God's faithfulness is dependent on him being faithful all the time. How many of you have ever confessed sin and you've confessed it but still didn't feel forgiven? I think we've all probably experienced that, especially if, there's a, if it's a serious sin. If it's a deep, personal sin, sometimes we confess that. And sometimes we just feel the weight removed. We just feel cleansed immediately. 
And there are times, sometimes, we struggle to feel that. I want you to remember this. Your forgiveness depends on God's faithfulness, not on your feelings. There are times where I just have to deny the things I'm feeling and just rest in the faithfulness of God because he is true, he is faithful, he is righteous. So if you express your failure, you can expect God's faithfulness. And the third thing is experience God's forgiveness. What is God faithful and just to? Again, he tells you to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sin, God pardons us and then he purifies us. Again, that's what I love about God. When God says, if you'll do this, this is what I'll do. If you'll confess your sin, I'm faithful and just. And if you confess it, I will forgive it and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. R.A. Torrey once said, he said, if you are at this moment troubled about any sin that you've ever committed, either in the past or in the present, just look at Jesus on the cross. It is an act of base ingratitude to God to brood over sins that he in his infinite love has removed, blotted out, and canceled. Let me just close with this story. This man was confessing with his pastor that he had been haunted by this very, very deep and very uh, 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 just unable to feel forgiven. He had kind of committed some things in his life and uh, there were some very, very deep sins that he had committed many, many years ago. He had confessed them to God and, and he just was not feeling forgiven. The pastor said to him, let me ask you something. Have you confessed this sin to God? And the man said, oh, yes. He said, I have confessed this sin to God over a thousand times. And the pastor said, that is 999 times too many. He said, you should have confessed it one time and then thanked God 999 times for forgiving you. Again, now hopefully you're kind of beginning to see why confession is so powerful, why it's so important, because confession does for the soul what preparing land does for the field. So I just want to, I just leave you with this as, as we prepare to go into Holy Week. My prayer is, is that, you know, today, and, and again, as we go into this week, that again, there's just this openness, there's just kind of this a surrenderedness on, on our, our hearts this morning. That if there's anything here this morning, if there's any unconfessed sin in your lives, my prayer this morning is, is that as, as you come into God's presence, what you are going to find is you are, you are going to find a very loving, a very gracious, and a very merciful Father. A lot of times the reason we don't want to come to God with our sins is because we don't trust what God's going to do with that. See, some of us, we kind of have this idea because of some of the things that we've done in our lives, if we ever come to God, God's going to punish us. And the scripture says that that, that is a fear. Fear is... It's, driven 
by the fear of being punished. So there's sometimes things that we do if we come to God and confess that sin that somehow God's going to take that and use it as punishment against us. And again, The scripture says that what you need to do is you need to get a hold of the perfect love of God because that will drive out that fear of punishment. God is not not drawing you into a place of confession to punish you. He's drawing you into a place of confession to free you. So my prayer is, is that there are areas of your life this morning that just need to be confessed to God. That what you're going to find is you're going to find a God that is a convicting God, not a condemning God. He is a God that's going to convict you because what he's trying to do is he's trying to draw you closer to him. See, conviction will always kind of draw you closer. Condemnation will always push you further away. That's why I say what, what God is doing in, in, in bringing that unconfessed, that unrepentant sin uh, to our hearts is God is wanting to use that to bring us closer to him and to bring us closer to the people that we are in conflict with. Condemnation. Again, whether we're feeling condemned from God or we're condemning others. If I'm, if I'm condemning Cheryl, what I'm going to do, I'm going to push her further away. This is just a perfect week. I mean, every day and every week's a, a perfect week, but this is especially a perfect week because this is exactly why Jesus went to the cross. It's exactly why he gave his life. It's exactly why his body was broken and his, and his blood was shed so that we could first and foremost be reconciled unto God, that we could be declared righteous, that through the blood of Christ we can now be declared in right standing with God. There's nothing There's nothing bad, there's nothing negative going on between God and I when we're standing in in complete righteousness. We are made right, we're in right standing with him. And that's the whole purpose of why Jesus went to the cross, so that we could be in right standing with him first and foremost and with one another. And so that is my prayer, is that the, the, the sacrifice, the broken body, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would have its full effect in our lives, in our relationship with God, and in our relationships with one another. That is the power of the cross. That is the power of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we just walk in the fullness of that, we will find healing will manifest itself in our relationships. I believe that that healing will begin to manifest in our bodies. And so, Father, this morning, we just come to you, and we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We cannot thank you enough for what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, what he has done through the cross to reconcile us, to make us right, to make us in, in right standing with you. And then how that also enables us to be in right standing, to be at peace with one another. And so, Father, we thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. For without it, we would be lost and dead in our sins. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us 
that you have brought us out of death into life through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to honor his sacrifice by applying that fully to our lives and to our relationships. So Father God, we just pray, Lord, as we go forth in this week, that God, if there are those conflicts, that there are those relationships, God, that just need to be mended, need to be healed, need to be restored, that God, you would lead and guide us, God, that you would give us a vision for that. That you would assure us, God, that you are in the process, that you're leading and guiding us in that, Father. And Father, we again thank you for the power of confession. The power to be able to admit our sins, our faults, our failures. The humility. God, clothe us with humility. That we would be able to confess those to you and to one another. And that, God, we would receive the blessing, the promise of your scriptures. That we would be healed spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So, Father, again, we just thank you for the precious, the beautiful work of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.